Amen. I just absolutely love it when we're in worship, and you can just hear just this chorus singing together. Just, it's just absolutely beautiful to be worshiping with you. Uh, what a great uh, privilege we get to, to worship together. Uh, welcome to City Hill Church. If you are um, here for the very first time, we are in the middle of a series and maybe it's, it's by God's great design that you are here today because God wants to speak to you. Um, and each week is a standalone thing. So if you missed out or you're here for the first time, then you're not missing anything today, I believe is going to be something special and specific. And God's going to use it powerfully to speak to you. I'm sure we've all asked the question, what is the purpose of life? And then more specifically, oh no. <laughs> No, don't worry about the birds. Um, what is the purpose of my life? And you might be sitting here this morning and you're thinking, what, what is the purpose of life? Specifically, what is my purpose? Why were you born? Why are you here today? And there's two ways about going about finding the answer. And um, guys, you know that thing about, it says, don't think about a purple elephant. Have you, have you heard that thing? It's like me thinking, don't look at the bird. And everyone straight away, and I see everyone, um, I'm going to just try and ignore that bird and hope it doesn't attack me again. Um, okay, so there's two ways about discovering our purpose. The first way is speculation. You know, you can just speculate what you think the purpose of life is. Um, and, you know, in other words, I'll just take my best guess. And then hopefully that's what the purpose of life is. In the 80s, a philosophy press professor named... Um, Hugh S. Moorhead from Illinois University, he wrote a book and he called it The Purpose of Life. <laughs> Great. And what he did was he thought, let, let me contact the most academic, intellectual minds of the, you know, on the planet, 250 of them, and I will discover the purpose of life. Right? So he got all these people and he asked them, the question, what is the purpose of life? I'm going to take all your information and I'm going to compile it into a book. Here are some of the answers he got. Some people said there is no purpose. That is a very depressing way to live, but that's the answer some people wrote back. There's no purpose. Uh, others admitted that they weren't sure, so they made up their own purpose. Others said they had absolutely no idea. You know, don't contact me, I have no clue. And others said, please send us the book when it's finished, because we don't have an idea either. So there's speculation. You might be sitting here today and you're speculating. What is the purpose of life? The other way that we can go about discovering our purpose is revelation. This is a biblical word meaning to reveal. And God wants to reveal your purpose. I trust that through this series, God is going to reveal your purpose. To unveil divine truth. There is a divine truth to your life. There is a reason that you were born. There is a reason that you are here today. I believe that it's not by chance that you are in this room right now. God specifically designed it in his purpose to speak to you. So as we go through this course, we are going to trust God not for speculation, but for revelation. And if you desire revelation and you want God to reveal himself, I truly believe that he will. Uh, I, I must say, just since we started this course, I've enjoyed listening to some of the, the minds discussing about the, you know, some of the questions around the purpose of life. Donnie, sitting over there, he is a man of great wisdom. He's a father. He's seek God. He serves God. He loves God. He knows God. And he hasn't thought, well, this is about purpose. I know my purpose. He's so passionate about discovering more and God's giving him more. 
I think what a great approach to that. And just speaking to Colin about how he's walked through his life and how as he's pursued Jesus, all of a sudden his purpose has become a greater revelation and it's become clearer to him. Um, At the foundation of all of it, we have a divine purpose. Your life is in God's hands. He has a purpose for it. He has a reason for it. So we're not going to just stand still and say, Lord, when you show me the purpose, then I'll go. I'm going to start taking steps to pursue you. And as I do, the revelation will become clearer and clearer. You can stand still and hope God does something, or you can start to pursue him and watch what he does. So uh, this is the longest introduction in the world, but don't worry. It will <laughs> hopefully keep you with me. Um, the starting place of finding our purpose is God. Think about this. If there is an invention, there's an inventor. Imagine someday somebody was just digging in the garden and then all of a sudden they found this little box. So the box is wrapped in plastic. So they opened the box and then they opened it nicely and it just, you know the the way the box slides open and inside there's an Apple phone and it's got an instruction manual and they go, oh wow, and that's how the Apple phone was invented. It took incredibly intelligent minds to put things together and this is a detour and i've spoken about this before but it's amazing where is my phone anyway think about any phone i can hold up a phone which is made up of materials that have been dug up from the earth which is amazing it's not like something from another planet it still blows my mind and i can speak to my brother who lives in france And I can instantly see and hear him like a window into another country from a little device that was dug up from the earth that was put together in a certain way. No strings attached. Isn't that absolutely mind-blowing? It's plastic. And I can look through it into a window into another country instantaneously. Right? And we are so much more brilliantly designed than a phone. Although, <laughs> I say that I do believe it's taking over our brains, but that's a sermon for a whole another day. So, um, if there is a painting, there is a painter. There's a building, there's a builder. There's creation, there's a creator. There is a creator. So, if we want to know why we were born, we go to the creator that gave us purpose and reason to be born. So, we go to God. We can't just sit around hoping that something will, speculation, read the guy's book on the purpose of life with, with a whole bunch of people taking a whole bunch of guesses. So in scripture, which is like our instruction manual for life, we find five big purposes to why we are alive. If you stay in these five lanes, you will walk more fully into your purpose. The first one is Christ. This is amazing. We can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, the living God. We not a, not a relationship, a relationship. We can walk with Jesus. We can talk to Jesus. We can spend time with Jesus. We can enjoy fellowship. We can enjoy his company. We can enjoy his peace. It's amazing that we can enjoy the presence of Christ, which Brent spoke about last week. Today's topic is Christ-likeness. It's why you were born. If you want to write the whole purpose series, to be more like Jesus to know Jesus and make him known. It's why you were born. And the other three lanes that we need to stay in, are there notes? Oh, there are. Um, the common good community and the Great Commission, which we'll speak about in the next few weeks. So today we're going to talk about Christ-likeness. It'll be on the screen. If you've got your Bibles here, you can turn with me to Philippians 2. Um, and I want to say this. I'm not going to go through the entire chapter, but if I really encourage you, go home and ask God to speak to you through that chapter. And read uh, Philip, uh, Galatians, sorry, 
What am I saying? <laughs> Sorry, I'm not even there. It's Philippians 2. But before I get there, I'm jumping ahead. Listen to this. Don't, don't write down what I've just said now because I'm confusing myself. Um, we're going to get to the Philippians chapter 2 just now. Galatians 4 verse 19. This is what Paul says. He's talking about Christ-likeness. He says this. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed anew. Imagine a leader with such an incredible passion to see Christ formed in people that he compares it to the pains of childbirth. In an age where there were no hospitals, no epidurals, no painkillers, Paul equates us becoming like Christ, such an important thing that he pains for it like that of childbirth. We are designed to be like Jesus. I know I'm not going to... Tim, you're saying the same thing, laboring it. You were designed to be more like Jesus. And God uses, and he seems to use anything and everything to mold us into his image. Whatever you are going through right now, God can and will use to mold you into his image. God uses all things together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Therefore, nothing's for nothing. Whatever you're going through right now, God will use significantly to shape your life, to make you a diamond. Jesus is the greatest human to ever live. He emulated what life is all about, who it's all about, and how it should be lived. If you come to City Hill Church, you will hear about Jesus. You will exalt Jesus. You will meet Jesus. You will know Jesus. You will walk with Jesus. This church is all about Jesus. So, I'm going to ask you three questions this morning, and I'm going to answer them, and hopefully God will speak to you through these questions, and you will be more like Jesus. Our primary text, Philippians Philippians chapter 2. I encourage you to read it. Um, He doesn't like Philippians chapter 2, so he's going to go. So the first question that, no, no, I'm just teasing, He's he's got something to do. The first question that we're going to ask and try and answer is this. Why do we need to change? Oh, you do like Philippians 2. Welcome back. <laughs> um, Philippians 2 verse 14. Do everything without complaining and arguing. If I ask you the question, do you ever complain and argue? Instantly the church is going to be split into two groups. Those that complain and argue and admit it. And those that complain and argue and don't. But everybody in this room is guilty of complaining and arguing. The common denominator, which is French, (laughs) gets not, denominator is all of us in the room are guilty. All of us are guilty. Yet through our relationship with Jesus and through revelation, we say this and I say this, less of me, Jesus, and more of you. Less of me and more of you. And as we pursue Jesus and as we seek Jesus, less of me and more of you. The point is, all of us need to change. Every single one of us, especially me, we need to change. Carrying on, it says, do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Paul lived in a generation of crooked and perverse people. Fortunately, with all of our access to information and technology and first world luxuries, we are far more sheltered than Paul was in his day. Um, That's sarcasm. Is that that loud? Um, Okay, so 
We, and now this doesn't sound very nice, we, like every generation before us, is crooked and corrupt, sinful and self-serving, prideful and perverse. (laughs) And if you are totally honest, we are all absolutely guilty and in desperate need of a savior. People are church full of hypocrites. We, we are not here because we think we've holier than thou or got it all together. We are here because we recognize how broken we are and how desperately we need saving. Right? And you might be thinking, oh, but Tim, you don't know my friend Larry. He's got such a good heart. You know those people. Got a good heart. Let me tell you what scripture says about that good heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things. And desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. Uh, Check, please. (laughs) Stop the world. I'd like to get off. Uh, Again, to the new people, welcome to City Hill. (laughs) This does not include you. Um, (laughs) I went to City Hill Church. How was it? Oh, they told me I'm very evil. (laughs) Um, No, we all... All desperately need a savior. And God loves us so much. He loves us so much that he doesn't just save us. He transforms us. And he restores us. And he redeems us. And he uses us. And he protects us. And he provides for us. And he leads us. And he speaks to us. God is so good. Humility. um, Humanity has the ability to, to make good things into God things. We take things that God has given us that are good And through a crooked and perverse world, we twist them into something that we make a god. Small g. Food, sex, gifts, music, provision. Good things get twisted and distorted. And purity becomes perversion. And love becomes lust. And we take these things that God's given us and we twist them out of shape. This doesn't mean that all of you are savages with no moral compass. (laughs) It means that At the heart of who we are, there is a default to crookedness. There is a default to brokenness. So Jesus comes down into the world and he makes the crooked things straight. And he restores and he fixes and he works with. He infuses us with a power so that when people look at your life, you shine like stars in the universe. Incredible. Right? Without him, we remain in darkness like a a light bulb that's not plugged in. It's created on purpose, with purpose, intelligent design. It's just not attached. Yet when we're attached to God, we shine. Jesus came to put straight things, uh, crooked things straight. Okay, how many of you thinking, before we even get to the next question, I've had enough, thank you. (laughs) I'm full, Uh, thank you for all your questions. Um, What does, pardon? Thank you, Dusty. What does it mean to be more like Jesus? When it comes to being more like Jesus, there, there could be a very, very, very long list of how we all need to change and grow and mature and be shaped into his image. Um, what are the things that Jesus is currently doing in me and in you to make us more like him? So today we'll look at two things from that scripture. Philippians 2, it says this, verse 5 to 8. Good. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In other words, it's very possible to have a very different mindset to Jesus. And he's saying this, get on the same page. 
who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So what does it mean to be more like Jesus? For the note takers, we need to be more humble. And you may have heard that uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. As we grow, as we study scripture, in essence, let scripture study us, we recognize how much we need to change. And then God starts to transform us and we become more like Jesus. But all of us need to approach God with humility. And it's not thinking, oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm so bad and beating myself up. It's recognizing who we are in light of God. And we have this humble posture. God is massive. He's God Almighty, the creator of the universe. He holds eternity in the palm of his hand. And God humbles himself. That's God, right? The creator steps down into creation in a world of crooked and perverse people to restore us to himself. And he looks beyond the pain of the cross into the joy of seeing you and me in right relationship with him. It's massive. God Almighty, the creator of all things, steps into this broken world to reveal himself. This isn't the CEO of a multi-billion dollar international company making his stuff coffee. This is God washing the feet of his disciples. God washes our feet. It's amazing if we could just get it into our heads. God takes on our own sin through the most excruciatingly painful death to see me free. A man who knew no sin takes on sin, not to benefit himself, but to benefit me. That's humility. He didn't need us. He's omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent, and well done to Dale. Where's Dale and Monique? Are they around? Dale and Monique, there we go. Leading the junior youth. And you ask these little guys, you know, and they'll tell you, and, and Dusty, they'll tell you God is omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent. And their parents are going, oh, yeah, he is. And I have no idea what that means. That's great. Um, well done for what you're saying into our children. God bless you. Um, you know, God is absolutely, completely whole on his own. He doesn't need us. Yet he humbled himself to be tortured by his own creation to restore you and me. Talk about humility. This is not a selfish, self-obsessed, loveless, power-hungry God. We serve a God that, like Steve Wimble says, that is down to earth, literally, to raise us up to heaven. What an awesome God we serve. And he says, be like me, humble yourself. Life has a way of humbling us if we don't choose to humble ourselves anyway. But he says, humble yourself. Um, On a beneficial detour, this is good. I believe this is a God detour. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When we humble ourselves, God gives us the strength to face what we are going through. Um, I read a quote that says this. Pride closes the door to spiritual growth. And you think to yourself, oh, no, I've been a Christian for so long, and therefore I know a whole bunch, and therefore I don't need... Pride closes the door to spiritual growth. But humility opens the door to your life to more of God's grace. To the humble, God gives patience and peace 
and gentleness. The fruit of the Spirit grows in the soil of humility. The fruit of the Spirit grows in the soil of humility. Humility is the key to spiritual growth. Grace is to tap into the power of God. And true grace leads to Christ-likeness. Transformation. Is anyone with me? Excited? I'm excited. Uh, And like the quote says, the fruit of the Spirit grows in the soil of humility. I want the fruit of the Spirit in my life, and I want the fruit of the Spirit in your life. And when we humble ourselves and don't think, oh, you know, there's a pedestal or platform that I know. No man deserves a pedestal other than Jesus. We have a stage to make communication effective, but no man needs to be exalted. Um, Jesus, through great humility, shows us that our purpose is not to be served, but to serve others. We think the more we achieve, the more we will be served. And then God, Almighty, comes down to earth and then serves people. And then he says, be like me. Serve people. The next thing is to, if we want to be more like Jesus, to be more sacrificial in our love. This is point number two, question number two, point B, to be more sacrificial in our love. We live in a world that is crooked and perverse, like I've said, and love is something that's transactional. The way that we express love is if you love me and if you do this for me, then I will do that for you. If this serves my needs, then I will satisfy your needs. And then Jesus comes and he turns that on its head. And when he asks, when we ask how much he loves us, he says, this much. And he opens his arms wide. And he lays down his life before we could even, not that we even could ever offer anything in return. Jesus didn't die for you for what you would do for him. He died for you because of his absolutely sacrificial love. Amen. The very people that were torturing him, which includes you and me, he loves and he saves. And then he includes us in eternity. What did we do to deserve it? Well, that sounded... <laughs> what did we do to, des- to deserve it? Nothing. Can I tell you what's just? Hell. What's fair? Hell. Yet God humbles himself to pull us into heaven. And then he says this, My love for you is sacrificial. And I love each other in the same way. I'm humble, be humble. I love you sacrificially. It's not about what he can get, but what, about what he's willing to give. And G- Jesus demonstrates his love by a genuine laying down of his life. He expresses it to us. Yet we live in a culture that says this, that if you love like that, and if you love sacrificially, and if you love, then guess what's going to happen? You're going to be a doormat, and people are just going to walk all over you, and they're going to take advantage of you. So be careful of loving so sacrificially. This is God's response to Jesus' sacrificial love. Philippians 2 verse 9. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Promise from scripture, every knee, angel, demon, human, every knee will bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When we love with God's love, instead of the world pulling us down, God pulls us up. Oh, but people are going to take advantage of me. But God. So I love sacrificially. Why? Because that's how God loved me. 
Right? It's not a dog-eat-dog, fight-to-the-top, winner-take-all-living. It's a humble, gentle, selfless approach that carries true power and influence. To become more like Jesus is to lay down our way, our outcome, our lives for the name that is above every name, which doesn't make us doormats, but sons and daughters of the Most High God. So the last question, how do we become more like Jesus? Come back next week. No, I'm just joking. Okay, we're going to answer it now. Long answer, short answer, it's a process. Um, We can be saved in an instant. You could be here today. You were like me. The worst of the worst you feel. You're desperately in need of a Savior. And God, as you acknowledge Him as Lord and Savior, in a moment, you are saved. Pulled out of what you deserve into what you don't. Right? But when it comes to being like Jesus, it's a process. But there are two vital elements, two very important things that help us become like Jesus. Listen to the scripture and pay attention to the word work. Philippians 2, 12 and 13. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Detour. We cannot be casual about God. I'm not saying, you know, like, I'm saying that we can't be like, hey, my homeboy, Jesus, my buddy. Um, you know, like, we, we, can't, we can't approach God like that. You know, just cool. God will not be mocked. You know, and the cross doesn't give us license to make God our blankie or our comfort for sin. This attitude leads to more brokenness. Grace leads to the fear of God, not to sin. To make good choices, not bad ones. Yet at the same time, when we recognize who we are and what he's done for us and the sacrificial love and the humility, we approach God with confidence. Not casual, eh, you know, God's there to make me happy. But confidence, I am a son. You're a son and a daughter of the King of Kings. So our approach to God is an attitude of the heart. The right attitude leads us to confidence and purpose. Verse 13, for it is God who works, carrying on, sorry, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So when it, becomes to, when it comes to becoming more like Jesus, who does the work? According to the scripture, we do. And at the same time, God does. So it's not... I will sit back and relax while God does all the work. It's also not, I'm going to carry this religious weight all my life, trying super hard and failing while God sits back and watches. A hundred percent of my work plus a hundred percent of God equals Christ-like transformation. It's not all up to me and it's too much to carry. It's also not, oh, well, I'm just going to sit back and God will do it all. What is this? Is this changing? Um, it takes God to serve God, but it takes me to be willing to seek God. There are certain things that only God can do. You cannot, no matter how hard you try, save yourself. Um, we need God. We need guidance. We need forgiveness. We need his word. His word is... Another little detour. Don't neglect scripture. I'm speaking into an age, maybe a prophetic thing for our time. Do not neglect time in scripture. 
It's not religious to read your Bible every day. It's discipline. It's responsible. It's helpful. It's good for you. And if you do miss a day, don't beat yourself up. Just pick it up. Read your Bible. Anyway, I don't know where. Um, We need God to discover God. So to put it into an illustration of how we need to seek God, we've got a picture of a rowboat. Some people serve God like that. And they are rowing and they are working and they are tired and they are exhausted. And as soon as they rest for a little bit, all of a sudden they're back to where they started. And then they've got to work really hard to get back to where they want to be. And their thinking is this, God helps those that help themselves. Right? I'll only get there if I do it. Then there is another pr- uh, approach to another picture of the raft. Some people approach God like that. Well, I'm just going to chill on the raft here and God will lead me where he wants to go. You know, let go and let God. Okay, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be, will be. I'm going to sit here on this raft and then the currents of life will take me to my destination. Um, so this group is getting exhausted and sweating and this group's sitting back doing nothing and chilling because God's going to do it all. A more accurate picture is this. A picture of a sailing ship. On a sailing ship, you have to work. You all have to man your space. Um, You have to do the things. You have to um, lift the sails. You have to maintain the ship. But at the same time, you can't produce the wind. All you do is position yourself. You do the work. You seek God. You pursue God. And as you position yourself in the things of God, the wind of His grace comes and moves you forward. Do you do nothing? No. Do you do everything? No. You give everything, and God brings his grace. Right? She's full. Um, So, how do we become more like Jesus? We spend time with him. If you really want to know Jesus, he's available to be known. I, I, I know this. God is talking more than we know. God is speaking to us every day. Are we listening? There's something God wants to tell you today. God's probably already spoken to you today. Are we listening? We spend time with Him. We spend time. Everything okay? Don't focus on Dusty. Okay, so we spend time with Jesus. We spend time in His Word. If you haven't spent time in your Word for a while, don't beat yourself up. Don't have this yoke of burden, slavery, whatever. Just go home and, and, and say, okay, Lord, speak to me. Turn your Bible, go to Philippians 2, and say, as I go through this, remind me, Lord, of who I am. Show me who you are. Reveal yourself. The goal is not just to read the Bible, it's to live it out. And let the Holy Spirit guide you and and lead you as you do it, as the wind pulls us along. So to recap, why do we need to change? Because we live in a very warped generation, and Jesus comes to make broken things straight. What does it mean to be more like Jesus? A whole lot, but today we looked at humility. And to serve with a sacrificial love. And how do we become more like Jesus? We take 100% of what we've got and give it to 100% of what God's got. And then God fills our sails with his presence and we move forward. I, I know that the Holy Spirit has lots to say to you. I feel like some of you have arrived with questions. And the Holy Spirit's got answers. Some of you have arrived with Um, things you don't want to be carrying and God's strong enough to pick it up off you. Some of you have arrived here with desperate needs and you feel like they're not being met. Christ will meet your needs. Today, if anything, and we go through the series on purpose, if we just get our eyes fixed on Jesus again, 
we will walk into our purpose. If we will pick up our Bibles and we will ask God to speak to us, he'll speak to us. He'll use the word to transform us. I want to pray for us, but there's a, a team of people in the front here. There's some around the church. If you, are, if you have arrived here today with something and you think to yourself, I really need God in this situation. Can I ask that you come forward after the service, even if people are leaving and having coffee, and ask somebody to pray for you. Maybe it's so personal, you just say, I don't want to tell you what it is, but I want God. And as an act of faith, as you come here and you speak, God will do something. Maybe you've given up because you've been praying for 20 years and nothing's changed. And today you'll get your breakthrough. Don't give up. We had a word at the prayer meeting on Tuesday night, persevere. Persevere, don't give up. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, as we, as we sing and worship, you are welcome in this place. Thank you for being with us today. I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you demonstrated humility and sacrificial love to see us restored to you. I pray that we don't drift through life like being on a raft, just going wherever the current takes us. I pray, Lord Jesus, for those people that are in the room that feel like they've worked so hard, they're trying so hard, and they just seem to be going nowhere. I thank you today they meet grace. Holy Spirit, even now, speak to us. Lead us, guide us. For those that are watching online, Lord, that are watching... Wherever they're sitting right now, Holy Spirit, I thank you that this will be a divine moment, a kairos moment. I thank you, Lord, that there's some in the room that will hear the whisper of God today. Some will hear an encouragement. Others will be cautioned. But everyone will know your love. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will continue to do a work. Even as I've been preaching, Lord, the goal is to glorify you, to equip the saints. I thank you that your word will continue to, to work in our hearts and our lives throughout this week. I thank you, Jesus, for a radical change as we approach our Bibles, that you will do something. Even today, as we read Philippians 2, for those that do, there will be great blessing in it. I thank you, Jesus, that all of us Every single person in this room will be more like you. If you're in the room and with your eyes closed as we're praying, if you, and you've never given your life to Jesus, won't you put your hand up where you are at? And in an instant, as your hand goes up and you say yes to Jesus, you are saved into eternity. God bless you, I can see that, Hannah. Now I ask that as you raised your hand, after the service, you come up for prayer as well and say, I made a decision today to follow Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.